Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now keep in mind, he's writing this to a congregation of believers, a local assembly in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. Now he said, I beseech you that you'd walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And here's the verse that'll kind of launch us out into the message tonight. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And capital S Spirit, of course, talking about the Holy Spirit. Keep the unity of the Spirit. So I want to speak tonight on the subject of the Holy Spirit and unity which is a message, a subject of great interest. He was talking to an assembly, and he was telling that referred to the Holy Spirit as the, uh, the keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So let's pray as we get into the message. Father, we truly pray tonight that you'd help us as we study the Bible together. We ask you that you'd open our eyes, that we could behold wondrous things out of thy law. We pray that we'd be more than hearers, but doers of your word. I pray that if there are those here tonight, even as those we read about in our missionary letter, who have never truly been born again, I pray that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts, bring conviction in their life, draw them, show them their need to be saved. Lord, I pray for that. It's such an important issue. We do pray for this relative of Sonda. We ask you, Lord, that you'd just... Guide them through this process. We pray that your healing hand would be upon this man, that you'd give wisdom to those who advise him, who counsel him. And from a medical point of view, we just pray that, Lord, you'd work and you'd show yourself strong and people could recognize God at work in their circumstances. Now, again, bless the message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this... These, few verses that we begin in this chapter with, the Apostle Paul is pleading with the church at Ephesus. He says in verse 1, I bes- he beseeches them, beseech you, uh, that you walk worthy of the vocation. The word beseech means to entreat. You know, he's calling upon them. You know, sometimes people wonder, why would a preacher get up and just plead with people? To make spiritual decisions. That's what Paul was doing. I, I beseech you. I treat you. Why? Because, because we want to see God's, we want to see God work in people's lives. We want to see people have a relationship with God that's genuine. And that's the preacher's desire here for the church at Ephesus. And any true shepherd would want that for the flock, that the flock would be growing. And, um, I, I realize there are people who may think, well, it's just a job and it doesn't really matter, but you don't understand the nature of God's work if you think that way. And when a pastor stands up and sees people year after year, just sit, do nothing, don't really pay attention, they're not really focused on it, they're more occupied with their phones and things like that than they are really uh, getting with God and hearing from God. It, it concerns the preacher because I think most people in that state, when they die, they're going to go to hell. Not because they look at their phone, but because they don't have a relationship with God. God's not real in their life. They don't have an interest in spiritual things. And so, 
So Paul is pleading with them. And by the way, this is not just, this is not just Paul's burden for the church. This is God's burden for the church. That this, that this church, the church at Ephesus, would respond. And what is he entreating them to be? He says in verse 1 that they would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. If you're a Christian, if you're saved, you have been called to live a lifestyle. Called by God. Not by me, not by the preacher, not by your mom or dad. If you don't know that you have been called by God to live a certain way, then you don't understand what Christianity is about. And uh, so here, here Paul is said that you'd walk worthy in the word uh, vocation has to do with your calling, that you would, that you would live up to your calling, that you'd walk worthy of your calling. And how would that be? Look in verse two, with all lowliness and meekness, that you'd walk in humility, lowliness and meekness and long suffering. That's patience, endurance. And then he says in verse 2, forbearing one another in love. Forbearing is putting up, tolerating, being patient with each other in love. And the word there, love, is agape. Not in our human love, but in God's kind of love. That we would, that we would forbear one another in love. Now, if you look at the, um, the verses, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, you'll notice that this is all one sentence. A comma at the end of verse 1, that you would walk worthy of the vocation with your call, with lowliness and meekness and long-suffering. And then verse 3 is, a, is the end of that sentence. And so the subject of verse 3 is a part of this, the entire sentence. And what is verse 3 says, along with being meek and long-suffering and lowly and humble and forbearing and, and, and loving, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So God has called us to this, every one of us. If we're saved, God's called us to this. He's called us to a life of humility. He's called us to a life of agape love, loving others like God loves us. He's called us to a life of forbearance. But He's also called us to a life of of endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, to have unity. And all of these qualities are to be priorities in the Lord's churches. So there's no doubt in my mind tonight that God wants churches to be unified. No doubt in my mind. And there's no doubt in my mind that that cannot really be everything God wants it to be without the work of God in us, without the Spirit of God working in us to accomplish that. So God wants to do that. What does it mean to be, when it says there in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity, what does the word unity mean? It means to be in agreement. It means to be a oneness. A united church is God's will. A united church is not just a suggestion. It is a declared objective of God. A repeated, clear, repeated, declared objective of God. We're going to look at a couple other places. So we're going to talk about unity tonight. What does that mean? And who is it that helps accomplish that? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit who lives within us. All of us have have seen situations in churches where there was tension or contention or, or, or strife, but none of that is ever of God. That, ever. God is for unity, right? I mean, that's, that's what the Bible teaches. So, um, so I think it's important that we think about that 
together tonight. A united church is God's will. Hold your finger right here in Ephesians and go to the left a little bit to 1 Corinthians. And here's another church, the church at Corinth. We're going to be in chapter 1, just briefly though. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've already seen where the Apostle Paul was led of the Spirit. He was inspired. He spoke under inspiration of the Spirit of God and saying that we ought to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in, our, in the church. Now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Same human instrument, the same author, Paul, writing to a church, another church in Corinth. And he says in verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren. There again, the word beseech is a strong pleading term. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Now he's writing to a congregation of believers at the church, and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm beseeching you that you all say the same thing. And, verse 10, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, thinking alike, in the same judgment, deciding alike. So you're saying the same thing, you're thinking alike, you're making the same judgment. And then he says in verse 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe. He named who his informant was. Someone, t- someone told me, the house of Chloe told me. It's been declared unto me, brethren, that there are contentions among you, that there's strife among you. And he's going to go on and talk about that some, and we, we may refer to that a little bit later. But here's a church in Corinth that was struggling to have unity. Paul wrote the church at Ephesus, and he says, you need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Uh, Go to the right now to the book of Philippians. Let's go past Ephesians and into Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Another church, a church in Philippi, in the region of Macedonia. And notice what Paul says to this church, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. If there be... Therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if He provides these things for us, comfort, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, compassion, sympathy, if there be any of these things, verse 2, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, that you think the same way, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So here's another church. We've looked at three churches. Here's the third church. And, and he says, I want, I'm just want to encourage you to be of one mind. To, you know, there, there are people, I don't think, I don't necessarily think people uh, really uh, think this through. But a lot of people, I think, have the idea, well, you know, it, we're all different. We're all going to think different. We're all, we're not, none of us are going to agree on everything. And I think in some areas we are made different. But according to all these passages, God, God tells us to strive for unity. He wants unity. Right? I mean, that's clearly taught in the Bible. Be of, verse 2, being of one accord, of one mind. In verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. 
So he's, he's again pleading for harmony. And he says, fulfill you my joy. This will just be, give me so much joy to see this. These were great churches, by the way. Especially the church at Philippi and the church at Ephesus. They were outstanding churches. But Paul was writing to them not to act out of strife or vain glory. Don't, don't be pride, prideful. Don't be puffed up. Keep your pride in check. By the way, you know where strife usually comes from? It comes from pride. We want to have our way. Our opinion matters more than anybody else's opinion. And, uh, and look what he says in verse 5. Uh, uh, verse 4, excuse me. Look not every man on his own things, but every man at the, on the things of others. Think about other people. You know, when you're in this whole matter of church, think of, don't just think about yourself. Think about others. So unity is, impor- is a big deal to God. It's an important thing to God. Now, here's the thing. I don't think it usually comes naturally. I don't know if you've ever considered that, but I don't, I don't think it just comes naturally. It takes, it takes effort. Go back, if you would, please, to the left, to the book of Ephesians, where we started, Ephesians chapter 4. Just to highlight a, a word, the first word of verse 3. Ephesians 4, 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So if, if, if you had a vocabulary assignment tonight, and your job was to define the word endeavor, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What, is, what does it mean to endeavor? It means to labor. It means to exert yourself. It means you work at it. And what are, what are we working at? Look again in verse 4. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I find, to me, and I don't know if it's just... Um, because I'm getting older or people are getting different. I don't know what, I'm really not sure about that. But I find to me, this seems like more and more people that I know who claim to be Christians don't have a lot of interest in what the Bible says. Now that may seem like a negative comment, but I think it's true. They don't really, but here's a command for you. Not a suggestion, here's a command. For every Christian, this is a command. You need to work at this of keeping unity. You need to work at it. Endeavoring doesn't just happen. This wasn't just written to pastors. It was written to the congregation, to the church. It takes effort. And I say that because I don't think unity always comes naturally. Um, because people want their way. People, we all have our own opinion. And our opinions often differ. And so I think unity is a challenge. And by the way, unity can be a challenge even when people care deeply about each other. Unity can be a challenge in a marriage. Most people, most people, I think, when they get married, they get married because they're crazy about each other. Now, there are probably a few exceptions to that, but most people, they really think they like it. They think they have a lot in common. They think they're, you know, they agree on a lot of things. They're compatible. We'd like to spend the rest of our life together. And yet, even in those kind of arrangements, those kind of marriages, those kind of covenants and being unified is a challenge. There's the challenge of, of the difference between men and women. There is the difference, right? The way we think, the way we respond, the way we react. Some of y'all are smiling, you know it's true. And often we want the other person to be like us, right? If everybody just be like us, it'd be so easy. But they're not always like us. And then you have personalities. That's another factor, one person may be sort of uh, outgoing, gregarious. One person may be more introverted, quiet. 
you know, you have all these differences and personalities. So I'm just saying unity is not, a, it's not, just, a, it's not just a done deal. Okay, now we're not just talking about in marriage, we're talking about in a church where you have scores of people that are, that are members of a church. We're to be unified. Is it just going to happen? Does it automatically happen? No, you have to work at it. And we are to work at it. And so that, this is a good question for you to think about individually, personally. How hard do you work for unity in your church family? Is it a priority to you? And um, I think a lot of times people just aren't concerned about it. And here's the, answer this question. I'm going to throw out a, just a theoretical question. Why would we work to keep ourselves unified? Why would we? Number one, it's better for us. Unity is just good, right? When, when, when the husband and wife are in agreement, it's just good. When wife, wife's happy, everybody's happy, right? And so it's just good. It's good for us. But second of all, it's better for others. If people come to visit your home and there's strife and contention, that's not good for other people either, is it? Same thing in a church. What if there's division? What if there's contention? It's not, it's good for us, but it's also better for others. But primarily because it's God's will. God wants that. It's God's will that we be unified. And so this is an important subject. And I I want to come back to the fact that it's the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit has a direct role in this matter of unity. Now, if you're looking here in Ephesians 4, I hope you have your Bible there, but if not, rejoin us there in Ephesians 4, because these first three verses we read, and God wants us to be unified. And one thing He wants us to be unified in is our doctrine. Look in verse 4. As soon as He says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, then He says this. There's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, it's not a coincidence that these things about these positions come right after he said, um, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. And there's a lot of different, for instance, the very first one says there's one body. And lots of people that I... I know and read, they believe there's two bodies. They believe there's a universal body, a universal invisible body, a, local, a universal invisible church. They think there's a local body. But what does the Bible say? There's one body, right? And so if person believes the other, they believe wrong. God wants people to be, to be unified. There's only one, one spirit, one Holy Spirit. We're, there, I think that hope, one hope of calling is talking about it, the return, the the return of Christ. One Lord, one faith. The word faith there is talking about the faith, the body of truth that we believe. There's only one faith. When you look at, when you look at the, um, the great diversity in religious beliefs, and you think about it. It's, it's, really, it's really amazing when you think about it. But according to the Bible, there's only one faith. That's why Jude says... That were to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. There's only one faith that God that that is. The, there's only one body of truth that that God is in total agreement with, and that's what we ought to want. 
And yet people live like, well, it doesn't matter what you believe about this, doesn't believe about that. So there's, there, there ought to be unity in doctrine. There ought to be a unity in doctrine. It goes on and says, one, baptism. And again, there are people who believe in two baptisms. They believe in water baptism. You cannot deny water baptism. It's all through the Bible, right? But they take a single verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it says, By one spirit are we always baptized into one body. And they say that's, that's a different baptism. Well, the Bible says there's only one baptism. By the way, that's why we ought to take baptism seriously. Because God doesn't recognize every baptism. Now, now this is not complicated. It's just simple. But the point is, God wants there to be unity. God wants us to be unified. And that does not mean... That we all, they all think all the time exactly like about everything. But here's what ought to teach us. How can we become more and more unified? It ought to be by taking the Bible seriously. So what does the Bible say? What does the Word of God teach? Look in, uh, we're in Ephesians 4. Just look a little further into, into that chapter in verse 11. It says, And he gave... Some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He gave these spiritual gifts, these callings, these ministry gifts. For what purpose did God give these gifts? Look in verse 12. The sentence does not end at the end of verse 11. Verse 12, for the, he gave them for the perfecting of the saints. Perfecting is a word that means completion, maturity. He gave these teaching gifts for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry... For the edifying of the body of Christ, the sentence does not end there, going in verse 13, till we all come in the what? In the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man, mature, complete, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And this thought continues, but the point is, how do we get unified doctrinally by the Bible? By taking it seriously. By studying it, by learning, and um, we emphasize that quite a bit. Now, God wants us to be unified, and doctrine is one way He wants us to be unified. And even even interesting here in His chapter 4, He talks about these different gifts in verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and He refers to gifts a little bit before that. In verse 7 of chapter 4 where he says, Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. We've already talked about the gifts of how God gifts us. And so we, we don't always have the same gifts. Being in unity doesn't mean we always have the same gifts. We're not all gifted the same. We don't have the same personality. But in spite of that, we're to be unified. My wife and I don't have identical same personality. We don't have the same spiritual gifts. We don't have the same background. But we are, we're very much unified. But we work at it. So uh, God wants the church to be in unity. He doesn't intend for us to all be alike, but He insists that we be unified. And we can live with our differences. I mean, we have differences. Some people you know, like certain things. Some people like hockey. Some people don't. Some people like different things. Those things aren't important. You can live with differences, but God has strong things to say when, when a person makes their differences a point of contention. Or, or, or we, a Bible word would be discord. God has some serious things about that. Let's look at that quickly 
and then we'll come back here. Look at go to go first of all to the book of Romans. To the left from where you are in Ephesians to Romans, the last chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 16, a couple of verses we'll read here. There again, Paul's writing to the church. He's telling him what God wants in the churches. Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. So what does he say? I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Mark means point them out. Those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned. You need to, you need to deal with that and avoid them. Look in verse 18. For they that are such... People who are divisive, people who create discord, they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not serving Christ, but their own belly, which means their own, their own selfish desires, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So, you know, I'm not teaching this lesson because I think we have a problem with division. I'm teaching this lesson because we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us be unified. And the flesh can't help. The flesh, I'm promising you, um, if my wife and I had to rely entirely on our own flesh to always be unified, then it wouldn't work near as well as it does if we're relying on God and help God's help and the Spirit of God working. So, so, the, so that's the whole point of this passage in Ephesians. It's, it's this, that, that the Spirit of God... Br- Helps us be unified. I'm going, to go, I'm going to look at it again. Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. I've lost my place. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit is the unifier. He's the unifier. By the way, if the Holy Spirit is the unifier, who do you think the divider is? Right, the devil is. There are two, there's two primary places division come from. They come from the devil and they come from the flesh. And both of them are powerful and both of them are dangerous. The devil and the, our flesh. When a person is not willing, you know, the word compromise can be a good thing. It means when you're willing to work together. But when people are not willing to work together, then they, they, wanna, they insist on their way. It creates division. That's never of the Spirit of God. Here's your verse to think about in Proverbs. Only by pride cometh contention. Anytime you have contention, could be an argument between two friends, could be something else. Somewhere at the root of that is pride. Only by pride cometh contention. And unity is a good thing. That Psalm, you remember that Psalm 133.1, how... How good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the, the oil that dripped down off of Aaron and, and Aaron's beard. And, and the, it's only three verses long, that Psalm 133. And the last verse says, For there the Lord commanded a blessing. How good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. 
For there the Lord commanded a blessing. It's a good thing to have unity. And, and strife is not good. Drama is not good. And I know, you know, I've said this before behind this pulpit, and other people have said it from behind this pulpit, and you've, you've realized it yourself. Sometimes seem, people just seem to like drama. You know what I'm saying? They just like it. And, uh, but, but I don't like it, right? I, I like unity. I, I like peace. I like unity. And um, so disharmony is not good. God blesses unity. And he, helped, and he helps us achieve that. We work for it. We work for it. He commands a blessing where there's unity. And the Holy Spirit works to unify. The Corinthian church was a divided church. And what else do we know about the Corinthian church? We know they were a divided church because Paul said, I'm heard from the house of Chloe uh, that there's contentions among you. They were a divided church. But what else do we know about them? They were a carnal church, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you're yet carnal. You are yet carnal. Because he said there's this strife. Wherever there's strife, there's carnality. The, there's, the Holy Spirit never promotes strife. He never promotes division. He never pro- promotes drama. Never. He's for unity. He's for, he is for harmony. That's what, the Lord is, that's what the Lord is about. Now, so what does this have to do with the person of the Holy Spirit? Because who is it? The Holy Spirit lives within us. The teacher lives within us. The comforter lives within us. The sanctifier lives within us. And the unifier lives within us. And he's going to be working for unity. That's why the church in Corinth was plagued with this strife, this, this contention, this division, was because they, they, were not spirit, they weren't spiritually minded people. They were carnal people. What does the word carnal mean? Carnal means they were fleshly. They just relied upon themselves. They relied upon their own energy. That describes, that describes a lot of people that I know who say they're saved. You ask them, they're saved? They're saved? Yeah, they say they're saved. There's nothing spiritual about them. They're just carnal. They're fleshly. They pacify themselves. They please themselves. They don't sacrifice. They don't ever say, God, what do you want me to do? It was so foreign to them, they wouldn't do that. You know why? Because they're carnal. When you have carnality, you're not going to have unity. And so we need the more... This, this series of studying about the Holy Spirit... I was thinking about this this afternoon. If a person would just listen to these principles and read these principles over and over and over and realize that there is a source of power, there is a source of wisdom, there is a source of comfort, there is a source of knowledge. If you're saved through the Holy Spirit who lives within you, it's not just up to us to figure things out on our own. It's not just up to make things happen. We don't have to live the, I don't have to live the, the Christian life in the inner of my flesh. I never have a single day that I think, man, I have got to pull it together and I've got to make myself be spiritual. I can't be spiritual on my own. The Holy Spirit, though, who lives inside of us, He is spiritual. And the more He controls us, the more spiritual we're going to be. And if you, and if you can't relate to that, it maybe it's because you, you've never been born again. He doesn't live within you. You don't know what it's like to be indwelt by the person of God. So all these lessons to me, it's not just about a bunch of uh, isolated or fragmented subjects. It's about the general way the Holy Spirit wants to work in his life. I personally believe this. 
When I read the book of Acts and see how the churches were functioning and see how God was using them and He was demonstrating His power, it, wasn't, it was, had nothing to do with their culture, had nothing to do with their personality, what was going on in those cities at that time. It had to do with the fact that the Spirit of God was just working in a great way. And then I, and now why isn't God doing things like that in people's lives today? Why don't you see people, you know, uh, serious about their own sin, serious about making things right? They're living for God. It's because the Holy Spirit is not really working in their life. And so I think we need this. I think it's a, I think it's a helpful series of lessons. And here, it's, it's, He is the promoter of unity. And so... Um, a lack of unity among Christians is usually not a personality conflict. It's not a personality issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual matter. So let's end up here again in Ephesians chapter 4. I beseech, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. I'm writing and pleading with you, church, to the church at Ephesus. He said, I'm, I'm beseeching you. I'm entreating you. That you walk, uh, you walk according to the calling that's on your life. You live that way. That's what, I, that's what we're praying for and pleading for. With all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, with humility. Now, again, it's not, it's not a coincidence that he talks about these character qualities in verse 2, and then he talks about the subject of unity in verse 3. Because as, as we said earlier, the Bible's full of evidence of this. That pride causes conflict, pride causes disharmony, pride causes strife. It's pride. And he called, what he, he didn't call, he never, the Bible never says to a Christian, if you'll just, if you'll just be filled with yourself, you're going to find the Christian life really works good. You never find that in the Bible. What he says, what the Bible says, that you're to be humble, that you're to have lowliness and meekness. And patience with each other, these verses in verse 2, these qualities. Forbearing one another, putting up with each other in love, living. It's amazing how often that word love is, that agape. Loving each other in the God way. So the Holy Spirit wants to promote unity. It's been, our, it's been my blessing To be in the Lord's work, full time, really, almost all my life, since I was about 23 or 24. And I've spent a lot of energy in my life trying to unify people, you know, trying to help people be unified. Um, you know why? Because God wants it to be that way. That's what God wants. And, and He tells us that we ought to put forth the effort. To do that, to promote unity, spiritual unity among God's people. And there are a lot more we could say about that. You know, um, like I said, I don't, I've, I've known people, I mean, we've all known people that were at odds with one another, had strife between each other, that weren't on good terms with each other. As Christians, we should never sat, be, accept, be accepting of that. We should never say that's, that's just... That's just how it's going to be. No, we ought to work at doing better than that. God wants us to. God can do better than that. We're not like the world. We're not like the people who are just um, 
Nat, the natural man. We're, we have a supernatural God who lives within us, right? We ought to, we ought to work for that unity. We ought to strive for it and, and, and endeavor to have, to have it happen. And if nothing else, you know, if you ever find yourself in a situation where there's division and you're thinking, what should I do about this? You ought to pray about it and say, I want to do what I can. I want God to use me in whatever way he can use me to help unify these people, this situation, you know. Because that's what the Spirit of God living within us does. I've seen people, and some of you have seen people, who took it on themselves to really create great disharmony in churches. You know what I'm saying? Great disharmony. And and I'm thinking, do you think God ever leads people to do that? No, God never leads people to do that. That's That's entirely opposite from what God does. God leads people to work, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He wants to do that. And, amen. So I'm glad the Spirit of God is in us. And I'm, I'm glad for the Bible that tells us how He can influence our life, how He can influence our thinking, how He can influence our acting. And it's not, you know... It's not, it's never going to be, even in a family, even in a marriage, it's never going to be where everybody gets their own way all the time, right? Now, it may be that way in your life, but most people don't enjoy that life, right? We work together. We cooperate. We give. We give and take. We give. You know, we, we compromise for the sake of unity. That's really what that's all about. And you know what? When the world... You know, this hasn't happened in a long time, but we've had people leave our church and go out in the community and badmouth us and badmouth the church and badmouth the decision of the church. Do you, think, do you think that's God leading people to do that? Does God lead people to do stuff like that? Does God lead people to try to uh, tarnish the, the reputation of a body of believers? No, God doesn't do that. That's not the work of God. And, we, and, and so it's just common sense. We want, we want the... Let, we want the Lord's leadership and we want Him to help us be the kind of unifying force that God wants us to have. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit and unity.